Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. We bring you the very best recorded panels, workshops, and seminars concerning role-playing game design and publishing. This has been made possible by the generous contributions of the panel speakers and double exposure with their leading game design convention, Metatopia. Episode 86, GMing Outside of Your Comfort Zone, recorded at Metatopia 2015, presented by Cheyenne Wall-Grimes and Sarah Richardson. Oh my god. Is it, did you, you turned it on? Hi, Elsa. Is it not working? No. Oh. Okay. Is this working? Yeah. Oh, I just can't hear it. Yeah, you're good. So, hello everyone, and welcome to the GMing Outside of Your Comfort Zone panel. I am Cheyenne Walgrimes. I am the one that will be moderating this panel. Um, and we'll go ahead and start by having all the lovely ladies beside me introducing themselves. All right, I'm Kiva Fecto. I'm part of a two-person card and board game design team called Shadowsong Industries. I'm also a herald with the Double Exposure Envoy Program and an ambassador for the Maryland, D.C., uh, Delaware, for some reason, region. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so um, my experience, I'm going to be talking about GMing for that program in board and card games, and also my recent venture into RPG GMing. My name is Sarah Richardson, uh, also Sarah Dearbrainer. I am a freelance RPG illustrator, layout person, and apparently designer. Uh, I'm also a co-organizer of Contessa, which is an online and now offline convention uh, designed to help women uh, learn how to GM. I'm Elsa S. Henry. I am the historian <coughs> community manager, and uh, I also am a disabled game designer and GM, which is why I'm talking to you today. Um, I run Feminist Sonar, which is basically online disabled feminism blog, and I do a lot of writing about disability and games. Awesome. Um, a little bit more about me. Like I said, I'm Cheyenne Wall-Grimes. I am half of Glitter Cat's Fine Amusements, who is a provider of ridiculous games and um, have been GMing in my community back home and at conventions for about five years now. And so um, the reason that I came up with this panel was actually a conversation I had with Sarah at Gen Con this year. So um, it's, it's a really good thing, you know, as a GM, you can go to panels for advice about how to be a better GM and all those things. But a lot of things that don't get talked about are dealing with either a different kind of system than what you're used to dealing with, a different kind of game than what you're used to dealing with, and a different kind of player than what you're used to dealing with. And so those are the things that I kind of want to bring up in this panel and just ask our panelists to give a little bit of insight, and then we'll take some questions at the end if anybody has any specific questions or just want to you know, maybe even vent about something that you've had happen as a GM. We're, that's kind of what we're going to be doing, so it'll be good. 
But um, so personally, a lot of my GM experience has been in more kind of narrative storytelling games, a lot of more of kind of the indie side of things and have very, very little um, exposure to things like D&D and such. And so, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that I've been jamming, especially at cons, has been through, like, Games on Demand or through, I'm a member of IGDN, and we have a game room at Gen Con, and we'll start having one at Origins this year. And so, you know, running those kind of smaller games. And this summer, I ended up starting to run Chill 3rd Edition that just came out. And um, lovely system, really good system. Look at me. I'm not a horror person. <laughs> Look at me. I talk about cats. That's all I talk about. I talk about cats. I know, I but you are a horror person. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so it was just a very big learning experience this summer dealing with, because lately I've only been running Laser Kittens. That's the name of my game that I run. It's about being a kitten, okay? So then I started running Chill this summer, and it was an entirely different experience. And I ended up interacting with gamers that I don't normally interact with, and there's a lot of pitfalls and things that you need to think about. So I'm going to put up a question to our panelists first and start from there. What is um, kind of where you feel you have the most experience and give me an example of something you've done that's completely different than that. Oh, wow. Where I have a lot of experience. Um, life, I guess. <laughs> um, in terms of games, I started playing D&D back in 1979, 1980, and then dropped it after a few years for life reasons, kids and, and work and whatnot. Uh, only started getting into games again within the last three or four years. Uh, I was asked to become part of the design team, uh, and so I started really paying attention to games at that point. got back into D&D, playing D&D 3.035 at that point. Um, so it's, it's all been a continual progression over the last few years of learn harder, learn faster, keep up with everything new, um, try to keep up with the people that have been doing this for the last 10, 20, 30 years. So... Um, uh, especially in board and card games. I played some things like Monopoly with my brothers during the summers for three days straight when it was too hot to go out or rain. And now suddenly I'm designing games and learning games as fast as I can, especially as part of the Envoy program. Mm-hmm. So, so trying to keep up with the speed of learning things and trying to learn ways of doing that faster and being smarter about it so that I can then provide that service to other people. Uh, one of the recent things I did was I was asked to help run championships at Charcon in Charlottesville, West Virginia. I had a two-week lead time on that. We're running championships for six games. I, uh, I just lost my mic. Um, oh, it's back again. I'd only ever seen two of the games. I didn't get to see the other four until I got there, but I had to learn them before that and teach people when I was there. It is going in and out. Here, take this one. All right. So, um, yeah... So that was a success for me. I was able to do it really quickly and find the places where I needed to get the rules and learn how to do things and teach people once I got there. But it was really kind of stressful for me. I was like, how do I do this? I don't even have the game in front of me. I can't pull it out of the box and see what all the pieces look like. As an introvert, I really like knowing everything before I go into something. <laughs> I don't like being, oh my gosh, what if I'm the expert on this and never even seen it. Um, so that was one of my experiences, and I, I got through it successfully. I was able to teach a lot of people. I was able to teach the people who had to run the championships how to teach other people to run the games. 
Um, so a lot of successes along the way, but it's still, uh, your nerves get tight for a while. It's like, oh, I don't know if I can do this because I've never done this before. Mm-hmm. So, so. Um, I primarily run a lot of horror games. I also run a lot of tra- more traditional games. Uh, so a lot of times I'm teaching people how to play D&D first edition and they've never done that before. Um, the rest of the time I'm describing terrible things to them and expecting them to do terrible things in return. <laughs> so I am very used to uh, fairly specific kinds of players who, ex- who either by knowing me and how I IGM <laughs> or because of the game I'm running um, are expecting there to be horror elements and to respond accordingly. Uh, so like right now I'm running a Lamentations of the Flame Princess uh, game and there's been some, do you really want to shoot the 11 year old girl in the face? And the player said yes. You know, so these are the kinds of interactions I'm more used to. But then at Gen Con, I ran uh, one of my friend's games and I came into contact with some players who did not have the same kind of style of play that I'm used to. Um, and it got a little bumpy. Uh, there was one individual who, uh, I was not meeting the needs of the individual to explain the mechanics in a way that he could understand. Like I, I tried several times throughout the game. And I kept trying and finally he got angry about it. Um, and assumed that I thought he was angry at me or that I was somehow taking blame, which I was not. And it turned a little ugly. Um, and Cheyenne was there to catch me afterwards. <laughs> um, but I did manage to def- diffuse the situation, but it's one of the few times I've ever had a player get angry with me. Um, so that was pretty uncomfortable. Yeah. I just want to acknowledge that, like Sarah, I do things like run Dead Scare, my zombie game, where I have people playing tiny children. And sometimes they are the tiny children with the shotgun shooting zombies in the face. Um, So I spend a lot of time with players who are willing to engage with super dark material. Um, But a lot of what I end up being outside of my comfort zone on has nothing to do with the topic of the game. It has to do with being a disabled GM. So all of my experiences tend to come from being in a room full of able-bodied players and needing to explain to them, I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Mm-hmm. Um, my standard GM mechanic that I have is I carry with me enough sets of large print dice so that I can see what you roll. Because I've had able-bodied players realize that I can't see what they roll, and then they'll try to put one over on me. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, and I, I rarely run into that, but when I do, mm-hmm. it becomes this conflict of, well, you can't see it. I'm like, well, I'm the GM. Yeah. How am I supposed to tell a story with you if you think that it's pulling one over on me? Um, so I, I've had these interactions with people where I will ask them to use my dice, and they'll be like, well, I like my dice better. And so a lot of my stuff outside of my comfort zone is even stepping into a space where I'm playing with people I don't know. No, thank you guys for that. Um, yeah, that's one thing that, um, because so often, you know, you get into gaming with a specific group, either people that you live with or there's now a lot of online gaming that happens through Google Hangouts or Skype or things like that. 
and you really get to a point where you get used to who you're playing with and knowing what limitations they have and what limitations you have with them. And so putting yourself out there at a con or something, or even a place like this where you're playtesting brand new games. And I, I came into this weekend absolutely terrified. I was playtesting a game that is insanely dear to my heart and was terrified of being crushed about it, even though this is one of the most welcoming environments, and I know everybody here is here to give good feedback and actually kind of help take care of each other in this process, it doesn't matter. I was still just absolutely terrified of it. It all went well, and of course it did, because I had great people in the groups, and I knew it would, but it's still, you know, that's just a fear, so... It's been interesting, you know, looking at this from the aspect of being a GM and then also being a designer who likes to GM. Because as much as you want your players to enjoy your game, a thing I do think about when designing games is will the GM actually enjoy playing They're running this. So that's always something that I try to be cognizant of. So um, the next thing that I was going to bring up is um, I know Sarah and Elsa both kind of went into a little bit more description of specific events. Um, do you have any specific events that you can think of other than you were describing, you know, learning the yeah. the game? So, sure. Um, in my recent foray into GMing RPGs again, um, I was I was I was going to say I was asked. Actually, I was voluntold to to run a, a campaign for my. 3035 group. Um, I was told I'd have until February to prepare it, and then our entire party got killed off, and I was told I had two weeks. And it was, it was, I was running a mod, but it was a very long mod. It was to take people from level 4 to level 14. Oh, so it was expected to take several months at least. Mm-hmm. A long history line of all of this. And as an introvert, I want to know all of the history. And I'm being told, no, don't, don't concentrate on it. Just concentrate on a little bit at a time. And, and also make it fun for us. And I'm playing with my normal group, but one of them is a really fantastic gamer and seems to always know almost everything. Um, and he's told me that instead of just trying to have fun with this, because of the t- mod it is, he wants to try to beat this mod. So I'm thinking, okay. So he's trying to beat what I'm offering, and I'm a first-time GM really doing this too. So I've really got to be on my game and above wherever I've been. Um, so I'm starting to read through the mod and trying to come up with, you know, what are these NPCs and what are the monsters? Can I be technically competent enough to be able to do this stuff without having to constantly reference stuff? Mm-hmm. What are the techniques and the protocols I need to put in place so I can do this? And then how do I make the, the characters in the story come alive for them at the same time? And the descriptions for each of the NPCs are about this big. And then, of course, the party's running into them in town, and suddenly the, they're starting to throw peanuts at the paladin in a bar. I'm thinking, what do I do if the paladin is sitting in a bar drinking with somebody throwing peanuts at his helmet? Um, and it all worked out really well. I've, my group has been very patient with me, but I've also had some coaching on how to do things, how to get things set up, putting together spreadsheets with stats for monsters and how to make them tough enough for the, the party to deal with and not so that they'd kill them necessarily but also trying to figure out how do I make these people alive again. And when I finished my first session, uh, that, that player that I was really worried about, am I going to be, not that I thought he was going to be a douchebag or anything or be mean to me, 
but I want to make sure that as a GM, I'm making it fun and challenging for them. So I asked for feedback at the end of the first session. He said, oh, I had a blast. Thank you so much for letting me punch the paladin in the face. I said, great, I've succeeded. <laughs> I do want to acknowledge something, too, that we've yeah. kind of been touching on. Yeah. But um, there's also just the experience of being a person who's a GM who has a play style that you particularly like. And so if it's a game like Bluebeard's Bride or Dead Scare, there's no way to win. Like, there's no win condition. So when you have players coming into your game who want a win condition, mm-hmm. that becomes a situation, and you can't necessarily predict that. Yeah. Um, that's what happened to me with Dead Scare at Gen Con, was that I had a guy who really wanted to win the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> and I'm like, you're just hiding in a bunker for two hours in a two-hour game slot. I, I don't understand what you're getting out of this. So that was actually something I wanted to mention, is that all of what, some of what we're talking about is just difference in how people like to play. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the stories that I have from this summer about Running Chill, so it is, it's an investigation horror game, absolutely. And um, you have an entire timeline of a couple of months before the events happening and then the events that happen. And, you know, you can fudge it if people do different things where they're supposed to meet people. That's fine. That I can roll with. That, that sort of, you know, being, thinking on my feet I can roll with. What I had an issue with is that I had a group of people sit down. They spent the first two hours of our four-hour session in the lawyer's office where they all met and investigated everything. They had the answers to everything they were going to learn in the first three towns they visited before leaving to go on the trip. And then they stopped at Cabela's on the way. Maybe <laughs> possibly, I'm not sure. But literally, it's a game where you know you're 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 investigating. Obviously, that's fine. But you're supposed to be traveling while you're investigating and actually following trails and stuff. They rolled impeccably the entire time. And like, I'm going to look at the fa- the guy's Facebook page. He rolls really well. Oh, look, there's a, a status update from somebody that that kind of seems like that might be a lover. Let's take a look at her and just down the rabbit hole. And it was one of the most interesting things that I've ever seen in a game just because... Like, you know, I'm used to running monster hearts. I'm used to, like, you know, where all you do is screw up as a teenager and, like, you experience everything, whereas these people literally sat there for two so hours. Because, yeah, the guy asked me, he looked at me and he's like, so it's worth Columbia University, right? Yeah. Um, were there any bunkers there? And I go, well, I'm in the Manhattan Project. It was underneath it at the tunnel. Yeah. So, yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> right into the bunker. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and so it's it's just been an interesting thing seeing the ways that different players play and then having to, because, you know, improv is such a huge part of GMing. That's great. I love doing that. But, man, that, that one just really threw me for a loop. Part of my frustration uh, with the aforementioned game is whenever I got there, I you, you touched on this a little bit. I did not feel 100% confident running the game myself. Mm-hmm. And to make things worse, I realized I left the spell list in my apartment, like, or my, the house I was renting my mom's way, so I couldn't get it. So I was already improving and trying to make the best of a bad situation. Like, I already felt unstable. 
And I thought that everyone had signed up the game to play the game because they wanted to, to see how it worked, to get a feel of the mechanics, the world. Because whenever I go to Gen Con, that's why I sign up for games. It's like, I'm going to check this out and see if I like it. Or if it's an oldie that I really love to play anyway. This is a new game that isn't even published yet. Plus, it had just been on Kickstarter, right? Yeah. Right, which is how they probably found out about it. But the people fought me tooth and nail just so I could describe how the game worked. They wanted to work on their backstories and the interactions between players, which is not a mechanical aspect of this game. While I'm trying to tell them how to do anything, they kept interrupting me. And so it, there's also you know, a little bit of GM confidence plus player expectation. If you go to a con just to talk with the GM, that is not okay. Please leave. Because <laughs> there was a moment or two that's what it felt like. Like I was being pranked and I just was kind of like, I really like my coffee and do not deal with this. I kind of felt the same way. Like somebody shows up at my game that's very much about confronting and engaging with something awful. Mm-hmm. And they're sticking their head in the sand like an ostrich. And I really felt like I was being trolled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it did kind of feel that way. And I think that that's another sort of outside of your comfort zone moment when you can't tell what the intentions of your player are. Is mm-hmm. Players are. Mm. Um, but when that comes up, there's no real good way to actually address it, mm-hmm. especially if it is a con game and you don't have that relationship. Yeah. Like if you're at Metatopia and you have that experience, you can find somebody who knows somebody else yeah. and be like, hey, I just had a weird interaction with X. Can you help me solve that? Yeah. 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 Uh, you're exactly right because, you know, not having player buy-in was an alien experience for me and it yeah. threw me off my, my balance. I just didn't know what to do. So I was like, okay, apparently this is what they want to do at the table this time, so I'm going to roll with it as best I can until the dude got angry. Um, so there's, I'm not sure if there are great management techniques because they knew what they were doing. Yeah. Um, aside from just smile and let me answer your question, shut up until I answer this question, and then we can move forward. Yeah. Do you want? Yeah, I think, um, like I said, a lot of my experiences with life, and part of that is teaching adult education, especially for diversity classes, other things that are really tough sometimes and people don't want to necessarily be in your class or they don't agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so part of that is reading the audience and trying to figure out what you can say to them and how you can say it to them and and hearing the arguments coming back for them and, and figure out how to deal with people. And it's really tough when you're GMing something, especially a short session at a con, when you don't have the ability, it's not an eight-hour class, you don't have a break, you can step outside and say, okay, let me talk with you for a minute about this. Or you can't easily say, uh, okay, you're dismissed from class, I don't want you back here. Because <laughs> you've got to c- take control as a GM, because you are running this, but you're running it for the players. And so you really want to be able to give the players what they want, too. All of the players, not just the ones who are trying to take over. So yeah. that, that moment of, how do I deal with this? Do I step up and become my GM force protector yourself? And Alright, I'm going to save all the rest of the players from the, this jerk who's out here. Or I'm going to try to understand what's going on in this person's mind and help them and not take too much time trying to accommodate them to the displeasure of everybody else that's there. I feel like 
feel like you just described needing to be Gina Fultron. Um, Yeah, there's actually one experience that was within a game that I... I mean, it's a problematic game anyways, but I this was something I wasn't really expecting. At Games on Demand, once I was doing a Monster Hearts game, it was like the, the 8 o'clock slot. So I knew this was going to get rowdy. That's what happens. That's fine. I had six kids under the age of 21 sit down at my table. Three of them were there because they had just learned about Lady Blackbird that day and wanted to play other indie RPGs. And I was like, awesome, this is great. I had the other three sit down because there was a sex move. And all of a sudden, my party is split in half because there are kids that are there because they want to know about the mechanics of Apocalypse World games. And then the other ones just want to deal with the system that gets raunchy. And it was an eye-opening experience. Um, I did have an X card on the table. I explained it before we got started. I did my best. One of the kids immediately... Um, initiated in trying to get one of the other PCs to have sex with her. That was shot down. She then tried to have sex with an NPC and rolled well enough that it should have happened. Um, as the GM, I stepped in and was like, I, I can't let you do that to an NPC. There's no consent. I, I'm personally not okay with this. I hadn't said that at the start of the game because I didn't feel that I yeah. needed to, but I've learned. And um, it was making one of the three that were there from the indie game standpoint very uncomfortable, and she was too afraid to hit the X card. And so we had to take a pretty large break in the middle of the game. Um, I went to the bathroom. Her and her friend went in there, and she was crying and talking about the game. And I had to be like, I'm so sorry. I'm your GM. I wasn't in here trying to spy on you. I heard you say it. Let's talk. And so I had to go out and talk to her, and she said she wanted to continue the game. So we went back out, and I explained, let's, let's please keep off the sex moves. There's, yeah. I mean, it's, I don't want to have to do that. Like, that's one of the components of Monster Hearts that, I mean, I've been playing in a, in a campaign. We're on our fourth season. We're in senior year now. We've been playing for three years, and I love this game, and I like what you can do with that mechanic. But I literally had to tell a minor to quit trying to have non-consensual sex with people. That's awkward. It's very awkward. And so this is a game that I am highly comfortable with. And I had no clue what to do. And it ended up just being a really uncomfortable situation. So... I actually wanted to say that um, coming from my perspective, I've never played Monster Hearts mm-hmm. because I haven't been able to play it with people I trust. Yeah. And so it has very much been like I've had people come up to me at a double exposure event and be like, hey, want to come play Monster Hearts with us? And I'm like, I have another thing I have to do. Yeah. Because I really only want to play it with people who I know. Yeah. And like, like I said, I know it's a problematic game. This is something right. that I'm used to dealing with, but that just threw me for a loop. Right, and I think that that's, it's an interesting thing to have also the minors yeah. thing there. That really does change that dynamic. Yes, too. it does. Because so I wanted to stay away from that in general and just be, I'm, I'm told them we should, we should all be freshmen. Like I was very much going with the let's be innocent as we possibly can. Let's be little 14-year-olds and hopefully we'll, we'll avoid some of those topics that I don't really feel like playing with minors. Don't you remember what it was like 
2014. You don't... I can't talk about that here. I cannot... I refuse to talk about that up here. I, I plead the fifth. Um. No, but I guess I want to play Monster Hearts with you now. I would love to play that. So, um, we've got... Wow, we've still got a bunch of time. Um, please, go right ahead. Um, you were talking about something that I think is also very important because we, you know, we're doing a little bit of player buying and, and everything. But the idea that the GM should also have fun. Mm-hmm. So like the game I was so upset about, I was not having fun. Yeah. Um, but so here at Benetopia and Credit uh, recently, I've been running my game Blue Bird's Bride um, that we kind of mentioned. And as part of the game, I get very close to players and I say terrible things to them. <laughs> I just ran it, and I leaned into one girl, and I told her that this thing was terrible, and it was her fault. And, like, I, I have to remind myself that it's for a reason, that I'm not just being cruel, that there's a point to the game, and, and people can tell me if they're not okay, but we have a very, you know strong conversation about consent and X cards and yes. trigger issues before we start the game because the game can include sexual violence and other like various nasty things. Yeah. But it's fun to play as well. Yes, I can actually back <laughs> It's very fun. Fun in a creepy way. Um, so there's, there's a amount of trust yeah. on both her part and my part that I can say those things to her in game and she will be okay. But I'm aware that running this kind of game at conventions is very difficult. I second that, yeah. And so that's why every time like writing the blur, I get so nervous that people don't know what they're in for. So I actually have a follow-up to that, which is when things happen at the table that you can't really fudge. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I ran Dead Stare last year at and I had a game campaign. It was an all children game. Like people came into it knowing that it was going to be a Freedom Scouts. Mm-hmm. Freedom Scouts are basically a paramilitary organization run by twelve year olds because mm-hmm. um, their parents have all died because of the zombie virus, and well, so they're trying to take revenge. And like it's an awesome concept. People get really excited about it. But I had a room full of people, and I said, okay. Um, <coughs> I said what it was. I had one person drop out of the game instantly. They were mm-hmm. not comfortable with okay. playing a child character who might die, and I totally got that. Yeah. I, I mean, it's not exactly a warm and fuzzy system. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, an hour and a half into the game, we had a situation. They were inside of a zombie-infested building. One of them had the mini Manhattan Project move. Mm. Uh, they set up a bomb, but they wanted it to go off after they left the building. They they hit a 12 to make the bomb work. The bomb would absolutely go off. They botched the timer roll. So I looked at the room and I said, okay, so we can do one of two things. Either we can pretend that you didn't roll so well for the bomb and you can all survive or I can kill five kids between the ages of eight and 13 in one fell swoop. And I, I just looked at the room and I was like, I can't make that choice for you. Yeah. Because I don't feel comfortable doing that. And because it's your characters. 
They chose suicide. Yeah. Wow. I think I was in that session. You chose to die for the good of good. Yeah. Oh, you were in that session. I was. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I was ready to fight the bill, always. Yeah. 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 You guys are like, no, we die with honor, we kill all the Zeds. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and... Okay, let me... Yeah, and that's the thing, you know, there there is a thing of, you know, player agency sometimes is choosing whether you're willing to die or, you know, if you, it's and it's not always a we want to keep playing, it's just this is really good for the story. And yeah, everything is. Absolutely. I completely agree. And, you know, giving them that kind of option I'm not shocked that you all chose to go down. Well, I'm not. I mean, that was the thing, because I said to them, I don't feel comfortable with this, but yeah. if that's what you want, that's what we're doing. There you go. It seems to me that the more dangerous area is if you had the group split on that issue and some of them wanted one and some of them wanted the other. Yeah. I, I basically would have said, if one person had said, I don't want to die, I wouldn't have let them die. Yeah. I think there was another question. Yeah. As... A, a long time, sorry, daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, I always tell people in advance, like I run the scary games. I love running things that make people nervous a little mm-hmm. and incorporating those darker aspects in the game. Uh, as I've mentioned to other people, if I run a world that's super dark, that means even the person who's playing the Punisher is a hero, mm-hmm. and it gives them a chance to shine and be appreciated in that in mm-hmm. that one moment. But I also let people know that actions have consequences. Yeah. So in my games, death is real. Mm-hmm. It is a possibility, and I let people know that in advance. If you do something silly, like go charge the bad guy, when you're not ready to go charge the bad guy, you're making a new character. There needs to be a failure state. Yeah. A what? A failure state. Not necessarily quote unquote death, but I agree with you. There needs to be a failure state. There needs to be your choices need to matter. I agree with you 100. Because the, the the concept yeah. is there, if if there's no consequence, then players are going to continue to run. I've seen DMs who don't believe in a consequence, and their stories get destroyed, and it becomes no fun for the story. Because they get seen. Yeah. Right. There, there's there's a reason why your character has hit points. Yeah. And there's a reason why if you run out of hit points, your character is incapacitated in some way, shape, or form. And I think it's important to keep that aspect alive mm-hmm. for the story to have meaning. Yay, we won! Yay, we made it through! Oh, but you didn't really have any... You know, you walked in, you killed the bad guy, there was no challenge. Yeah. It, it's not a story anymore. Even your, your, your high-end fantasies deal with character death in, in novels and, and things like that. The way that I put that to players is that you, your choices have a capital C. Mm. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, that's a great way to describe it. I love that. It's, it's a choice. Yeah. Um, Lisa, would you, would you, I, I would love for you to share the all. Oh, that! Yeah. Um, I'm going to be slightly circumlocutous, not because of one of these, but because I don't want to spoil a very nice published campaign. So, there was a town full of 
cultists worshipping something that should not be worshipped. But here's the thing. The players had gone in a direction I hadn't quite expected. They were armed for bear. And while the book said the cultists are welcoming at first, ultimately you want this to turn into the cultists chasing PCs. Now that's not where this was going. No. So they were nice. They just worshipped something awful and had some pretty awful practices. And it's like, wait, what are we going to do about this? And um, one of the players took me aside and said, okay, so I'm going to see if, if these other villagers who hate those villagers can deal with that. And I said, yeah, I'm perfectly fine with it going that way. And the other players were like, no, this is our responsibility. We have to wipe out, God help us, every man, woman, and child. Yeah, and it was one of the most powerful parts of the campaign, even though we, we were very clear that we were not going to play this out in detail. Mm -hmm. None of us wanted to go there. It was like, well, credits over Burning Village. We get the idea. Um, and it worked because everybody understood that this wasn't, we're killing some faceless cultists. It's, we're killing these people who have done us no harm, who aren't trying to end the world, who have welcomed us with, with open arms. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, we're not gonna let this other group of NPCs take care of this. We're not gonna let the one hardened PC just strafe the village from the air so that we don't have to deal with this. Mm -hmm. This is our responsibility. Mm -hmm. It was beautiful. It was, oh. I, I, the character who I played, I played a hardened um, New Jersey monster. Uh, it haunted him all the way until the, yeah. until the next campaign. It haunted him forever. Wow. But again, it, it's because of the maturity level of yeah. the players. Yes. If I had done this with another group, it would have been meaningless. Yeah. yeah. No, that's that's actually a really that's lovely to hear. That's the reason why she's the best GM ever. No, Aww. I had really good players in that campaign. <laughs> Love you, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you guys for the four of you that have stayed and listened to this and engaging in this because it's great to hear these stories that you know there's it's not just the four of us sitting up here going oh god we're going to commiserate on horrible things that have happened yeah i, I, I have put age limits of um only 18 and up for the games i'm gonna run at anonica now they're not super hard games we're talking urban shadows and interest b which could go away don't have to but I'm not comfortable opening this up where I might get some under 16s, some over 40s. I, yeah. It is cowardly, but I'm not going there. I disagree that it's cowardly. Yeah. I, I have a rule that I do not do with people under 18. For one thing, I have a fair account. Um, and, you know, society normally only games that contain uh, lots of violence and gore, at the very least. It can get uncomfortable, like Cheyenne experience, when you have an underage player. And I, I make no apologies for not running games for younger people. I, I had a friend of mine's daughter who was like, I really want to play Dead Scare with you. She's 15. And I was like, you know what? You can run it with your friends when it is a game where you guys have control of the narrative and you get to see how dark it goes because you're teenagers. Yeah. Because I played a lot of really scary games when I was a teenager. I remember playing Wraith with my friends when I was a teenager. Not exactly a friendly, warm, and fuzzy game. <laughs> but I wouldn't want to play that with an adult at that age. Yeah, I and agree I with that. And I felt like I was really like, I really love that you want to play my game, and that's awesome, and I'll sign your copy for you, but I'm not running it for you. 
because they know the social norms that they're willing to exactly absolutely so they have the, the boundaries already in place for their gaming group and i don't know your question one of the, the most uncomfortable i guess it's probably the best word situations i ran uh world of darkness mm -hmm. uh the original world of darkness okay uh for a game store that i worked at uh so it was pretty much open to the public uh, we ran it late after hours. I was a store manager, so I was able to, you know, I had the key, the store, the store owner was happy with it. He made lots of money off of it, it was good. Um, two things made it uncomfortable. A, for six months, every Tuesday, I ran for 32 people. Wow. Uh, which was a challenge in and of itself, because the, we're talking, it was a World of Darkness game. Yeah. So I had vampires, I had werewolves, I had mages, I had changelings, I had everything. Was this tabletop or live yes. action? No, this was tabletop. How do you even do that? Careful. Did you have 32 people at the table at the same time? Yes. Wow. I imagine there was a lot of seat switching. <laughs> there, was, there was a lot of seat switching. At the end, we ended up making it so that the vampire sat here, the werewolf sat here, yeah. and I, I kind of bounced it out. But I ended up getting some kids that were 16, 17 that wanted to play. And I was like, okay, like I mentioned earlier, I run darker games. Um, I really enjoyed that aspect of gaming. And I actually told them that I need to speak to your parents. Yeah. yeah. Now, they're 16, 17 years old. Yes. They're like, yeah, parental permission at that point. You want to talk to my parent? I'm like, yeah. live at home? Yeah. Then. Yeah. Yes. That's actually what happened with me because I worked at a gaming store in high school and I wanted to play in their uh, Call of Duty game. And my boss was like, I need to talk to your mom. <laughs> yeah. That's absolutely reasonable. Yeah. So, I mean, it was it was, it was was awkward because I had to explain to the parent who had no concept of what gaming was at all other than her, her children play it, what and why I needed parental consent, what kind of things are going to be going on. I was like, it's gory, it's violent. There are aspects of dark humanity natures that are being explored in this game. It, it's not just, I'm going to walk into a dungeon and kill a goblin. There, there's more to it. So it was it was an interesting experience and taught me a lot on a lot of different things. Yeah. I, Whitney? Oh, oh, oh sorry. Go ahead, Sarah. I'm going to voice a possibly unpopular I don't think... <laughs> Your microphone does not agree with you. They don't. It does not want you to voice that. Really? Really? Yeah. Does it work for me? I told you. Oh, I'm gonna say it anyway. Oh, the red mic is my friend. Oh my god. I don't think you should have done that game for those kids. Okay. Uh, basically, because whenever you get to the point where you're unsure and you have to check with their parents, that's an indication that there is a potential power dynamic or something that could be weird and they may not have the tools to tell you to stop. Send them off to play with someone their own age. I agree with that. And also, what about kids who game despite parental disapproval? Mm -hmm. I mean, you could really fuck up a kid's life who, who's trying to like, I know D&D is not satanic, but my parents think it is. Yeah. Um, so I'm sorry, but I... Don't think that's a situation you should play with teenagers. 
I actually was going to say, like, since I already worked at the store, I think it was a slightly different situation with me. But my mom actually said no. Hmm. Uh, my mom told me I could play Call of Cthulhu with my friends, but I couldn't play it with people who were drinking. See that? Uh, yeah. yeah. That's totally also, fair. Well, there's no, there was no alcohol. Yeah, and also there's legally also a liability issue. Yes. Because, you know, like this adult here was with my kids in the store all alone, da 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 I think what you mad is that she was like, you know what, this sounds like a really intense game, and you are 16, and you won't be drinking. Everybody else will be drinking, and you won't be. Yeah. And that wasn't because she didn't think that I drank. She knew that I occasionally had a glass of wine at dinner with family. It was because she knew when I was with strange, strange adults, I would choose not to do that. And so she was like, this is a narrowing my kids to tradition. I'm going to throw to Whitney because she yeah. has a question or yeah. something. Um, so uh, I, it's, it's kind of a, kind of a question because mm-hmm. like with my, uh, what do I, I'm not sure what to do when you when a character is doing what they're supposed to be doing with making enough, like it's not, it's not like an icky thing. It's like this is what the game is supposed to do, but is it making another character kind of like uh, tone it down a bit? Like for instance, I ran my game with Sarah and. <laughs> oh my. Okay, I'm sorry. No, no, I'm joking. I and that reaction was about my behavior in the game. Uh, no, I, 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 <laughs> if I, I ran with it because I liked it. And, for, and and long story short, she did something kind of creepy. She asked me, she asked you to do something creepy. And I said go for it, and because I, I thought it was, I thought it was cool, and we ran with it. And you were like, and she was like, I did that. I'm like it's cool. I'm I'm okay with that. I'm I'm pretty chill. Um, GM. It was just her and me. It was a one on one. But like yesterday. Um, there's a, in, a mechanic in the game where um, people in relationships might argue, like you know, like like literally yell at each other, mm-hmm. and which is what's supposed to happen in the game. Yeah. But there was obviously someone there that was like, I feel bad because they're not doing anything wrong. They're doing what the game is supposed to. Do, but you don't yeah. want to be like person who's you know enjoying the game for what the game is supposed to do. Calm down because I know if I was that person, be like, but that's what I'm supposed to do, and that's what my character. Yeah, and that's just a delicate situation where, yeah? Yeah, as this is a big if. If the person who's uncomfortable is able to speak to that, the, the way out that um, my spouse taught me was, pay attention. You will find a way to do what you want to do within the constraints that you're given. I have to tone it down? Okay, I'm sure you can be a lot just as creepy in a toned down way and it will be just as chilling yeah. without pushing that button. And even potentially saying like right now we are yelling at each other and being able to say it in a lower voice like there are accommodations that can absolutely be made okay. but you know that's that's entirely something you need to talk with the players with. I want to just make one comment about yeah. LARP because I think we haven't really talked about LARP. Not much. Yeah. Um, but in LARP there's a specific cut and break or scenes where you can just say either cut, I'm, this is not happening anymore, or full breaking into the character. And I think that adopting that to some extent in games where it might get uncomfortable can be a good thing. Um, I think it's also more difficult for people to step away during far. Yes. Yeah, because you get way more engaged both on a physical and emotional level. Yeah. And that's another place where I feel like I'm actually playing out of my comfort zone because I don't, I don't run Mars. Yeah. But I do play in that, and I had a couple of experiences where I actually left the game, and then I was like, I went to a place I don't feel so great about. Um, notoriously, I scared Christopher Amher- Amherst because he had me play the interrogator and that at what cost, and I was willing to do things that other people were not willing to do. 
Go ahead, Kiva. Yeah, so um, I wasn't the GM, but I was the host of the, the place where we were playing, so I had some responsibilities I undertook, too, when things like that had happened, where one particular person was playing their character in a way that became really obnoxious to the rest of the players, and I had to call a timeout and said, okay, I understand that this is the way that you believe your players should be playing this, that your character should be playing this, mm-hmm. but you're here in my dining room as a person doing this, and it's impacting the other people around the table this way. So we need to come to some understanding of the, the line between your character and the players that are sitting around this table mm-hmm. and what's respectful for everybody. Yeah. And eventually we ended up kicking him out of the group, kindly, because he, he couldn't stop being who he was, and he understood that and needed, knew that he needed to do some growing up. Mm-hmm. It is always okay to kick someone out of the group. Yes, it is. <laughs> but I... It is. I super appreciate your question because that is like that's some uncomfortable space to negotiate. Yeah, it is. While you know me and we have personal relationships, so you're able to go. You know, I was able to feel comfortably like. So I'm going to burn this person alive. Are you okay with that? Um, <laughs> is that you? Yes. <laughs> oh. Story anyway. Um. But see, that is a terrible feeling to see one of your players reacting in a very obvious, like, I am uncomfortable, like with your group. Um, And I think I would handle it different in con play than than Mm -hmm. home play. Because home play, I might look at a friend and be like, knock that out. What are Mm -hmm. are you doing? Um, Although, you know, I I have had experiences where there are people who do things that were like, we are not playing with you anymore. You're not welcome. Mm -hmm. Uh, but at a convention, as as I saw, I, I had fights break out twice at Gen Con, like arguments. What? Yeah, it was great. Mm-hmm. Gen Con was great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was actually, during Bluebeard's Bride, an argument over how one player was playing the Virgin um, oh, that got oh, kind, yeah. of, kind of heated. And I could see the agitation rising but I had to just judge the table, and I was like, I'm going to let this go and see, see if it's going to level off. It did not. It exploded. And then I, I was just like, okay, so let's talk about what part of this is bothering you, where you're coming from, and can we find a middle ground? So we actually had to take you know, part of the game time to negotiate how somebody was playing. This is probably more game feedback than anything else. It's really fascinating because when I played Bluebeard's Bride, we had the only male at the table who was playing the version. And the other they one, like it. The, <laughs> no, it's really interesting. Why not? Sorry. It was really interesting because the women at the table were like, no, that's not what that means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was really interesting to see the negotiation. Would it? Would it be worth it then, like, if you're going to have a, ga- a game where there's going to be yelling and fighting, that it might be uh, just to say, like, there's going to be PvP, so if you don't like PvP, GTFO? But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Because that is something that I, I would be shocked if a lot of people here wouldn't be able to tell you, yes, I like PvP, or no, I don't. Like, most of the people that are going to be at this con might know. There's a, um, an essay that Jonathan Wick wrote uh, as part of the package that includes the Houses of Flooded called We're All Friends Here, right? And <laughs> it's actually a discussion about PvP in, in tabletop role-playing games. Uh, and, um, and you 
have to go ahead and establish a level of buy-in in regards to PVP, and a lot of it's based on the social dynamics of your group and your pre-existing relationships. No group, every group has its own unique and distinct culture, and yes. every group has its own unique distinct level of, um, mm -hmm. of personalities, and what's going to happen is that you're going to know what level of PVP um, that your group's going to be comfortable with after the second session, in my opinion. Well, it also depends on the game, because some yeah, games obviously. with PVP is going to be very different. Dexter is an optical and in Apocalypse World, there aren't opposed roles. But because it's a game about social constructs in the 1950s, dealing with people who a lot of the conflict is actually between players, I never wanted someone to be forced into something without being able to push back if they yeah. felt like that was well, a there, character. So well, there, there needs, are roles. Well, there needs to be briefing and debriefing. That's yeah. one of the things they did that gets done in a lot of like peak form LARPs. You know? and, I, and when I first heard about it, I was like, well, why do you need the briefing and debriefing in a LARP? But, but, you know, like when it was explained to me through Lorantha fandom of all things, um, <laughs> we'll talk later. I was giggling in delight. No, I know. We're friends. <laughs> he from the was top. happy, Sarah. Yeah, it was happy. Oh, okay. No, but anyway, no, but the, the whole thing about briefing and debriefing, I think, is vitally yeah. important, and you can take it over in the paper about this hugely yeah. And it's also something that is going to be controversial. Can I say a controversial thing? I'm sorry for taking up so much space right now, but this is the first to get this out. Um, I'm 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 been a BDSM practitioner for many many years, mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of the techniques that that go in like in this kind of in in, in outside professional role play directly apply to um, was it you can take from BDSM and DNS and power exchange play and use it in tabletop role playing. Uh, and which includes when you're talking about con games, that's public play. If like you've been the you've been yeah. the lunches, you've been the festivals, and that kind of yeah. thing. I think that I, again, I'm just going and drawing parallels. If there are people who have more experience in this, that defer to your learnings. But that's the impression that yeah. I get. So you can take those safety guidelines. So we are just about out of time, but um, I would like to thank all three of the other panelists. This was lovely. Thank you guys for talking about this. Thank you guys for being here. This was lovely. I think this is a really good thing to discuss. So, thank you all very much. Have a good con. Yeah. I'm sorry for outing you, Sarah. Oh, it's totally okay. <laughs> it wasn't the worst thing I said the entire time. Um, I would like to invite you all. We need you. Um, we're a um, feminist and gaming website. I'm actually about to go do. Yes. An interview right now. Awesome. So. Yes, can I please reach out to you? I'm Absolutely. I'd like to talk to all three of you. Yeah. Sure. Uh, I run Feminist Sonar, so Feminist Yes, yes, please. Yeah. I wish yeah. I could awesome. use one of those, but I have to talk to you. I know. This when, is a great oh, panel. I, I know. I'm super happy that we did this. Yes, I'm super very happy that I attended. Good, okay, good. Go ahead, Fantastic. Go ahead, Mr. Senior. you talk to the other people? So, yeah, I got it. I was no, 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 I know, but I, I wanted to I really like having you on the panel. I like the perspective that you were able to bring. And no, this was great. I'm, I'm super happy with this. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for attending. Thanks for engaging. I didn't actually realize it was PvP until I saw it out play out yesterday. Because it's like, I guess, arguing with your